0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. What does God do with ordinary people? Um, Maybe you're like me. I remember reading, and I still love to read, uh, Great Heroes of the Faith. You know, people who have come and trusted God and gone to all kinds of crazy places and just done incredible things, right? And, uh, and it seems when we read those stories that God blesses those people in extraordinary ways, right? And uh, it's easy to kind of get this theology that says God does great things with great people and he doesn't do much with the rest of us, right? If you're average, if you're ordinary, well, God puts up with you. If you're good, you know, and you trust him, you'll get to heaven. But... You know, you're not gonna, nobody's going to write a book about you. And God's love for average people is very average, whereas his love for extraordinary people is extraordinary, right? Now, of course, we know theologically that's not true. Did you ever kind of feel that way? Ever kind of feel like, you know, wow, if I could just be great, and God would be impressed with me, and God would really bless me, and I would do great things, right? Um, I had dreams at one time of being great. Do you ever have dreams of being great? Well, some of you are young enough that reality has not steamrolled you yet. <laughs> and you still have dreams of being great. Hang on to those dreams, man. Hang on to those dreams. I remember I had dreams of being like Spurgeon. You know, Spurgeon started preaching at a very young age, and thousands, thousands flocked to hear him speak. And uh, I, I had dreams of being another Spurgeon. You know, I thought, I'm going to start preaching when I'm young, and thousands are going to come. And indeed, I started preaching when I was 16 years old. And no kidding, like, at least a dozen people showed up to hear me once. It was impressive, right? Uh, A little bit later, I was 21 in Bible college. I took my uh, required preaching class. Out of the whole class, I got the second worst grade in the class. (laughs) Okay? How's that for your ego? Uh, Later, about 10 years later, I'm 30 years old. I I, uh, reluctantly become the pastor of a church that God drugged me to. And a church of 12 people, right? And I begin preaching. And actually, the church quite quickly grew from 12 to like 150 people. And I thought, yes, I'm on my way. Thousands, here they come. But... 150, kind of where it peaked at, it kind of dwindled back down there to like an average church with an average attendance of like 83.2 people, you know. Very average, very plain, very ordinary. And quickly I realized that I was not extraordinary, that uh, nobody was going to write a book about my extraordinary preaching skills like they did Spurgeon, and I had to deal with that reality. What does God do with ordinary people, you know? uh what does God do when we come to the reality of our own life that we are just uh plain people right uh, well there is encouraging word in this words in this story and um, so let 's look at this kind of ordinary guy 's life and see what God does with him uh, we 're going to look at all of chapter twenty six we'll go i 'm not going to read the whole thing uh his life really is a is in this chapter is dominated by the theme of fear. Okay, so not only is he ordinary, but he's an ordinary guy who deals with huge fears in his life, right? So we're going to look this morning at the three fears that uh, kind of confronted Isaac's life. It says in verse 1, A severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said to him, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerard. Uh, Start off with his first fear uh, that he deals with is the fear of famine. Uh, uh, Very realistic and not, um, not unwarranted fear. And much as in his father's time, a famine comes into the land and he has nothing to eat. Um, <clears throat> starvation is a problem, okay, and fear is not all bad, all right, fear does have a positive thing in our life, and the positive thing that fear does is it should motivate us to do something, all right, so how, here's how it works, there's no food to eat, fear kind of gets your adrenaline going and come, makes you come up with an alternative plan of action, and so uh, Isaac is, is aware of the fact that, you know, there's no crop coming in, um, there's not going to be a harvest. There's not going to be food. I got to do something, and so his intention and in his plan is to go to Egypt. Uh, Egypt was a natural uh, and logical place to go anytime there was a famine, because the Nile River guaranteed uh, an annual harvest, right? Unlike uh, Palestine, Canaan, where they were, where they were so dependent on rain. So he begins the trek, the journey toward Egypt. When he gets to Gerar, which is in the southern tip of the promised land, the southern tip of Canaan, uh, same exact place actually where Abraham sojourned for a while during famine, uh, God appears to him there and says, you just need to stay stay put, stay here. Um, uh, and this is a fear that I think most of us can relate to. Now, Granted, probably most of us maybe have never experienced a life-threatening famine, but all of us face the issue of what if there's not enough? Okay, let me ask you, raise your hand. How many of you have had FaceTimes when you felt like there was not enough? Okay, for those of you who don't raise your hand, I want to talk to you, because if you have enough, you need to share with me. All right, what are you doing? Right, this is biblical, Acts chapter 2, all right? So I'm going to talk to you later. But I think most of us, honestly, come across many times in our life where there is not enough, right? Where there is a famine. Uh, For us, a famine means... You know, the declining, or as it is, the rising value of the bot. Just, you know, cut 25% out of your, your income, right? Um, it, for us, famine means, you know, your home-supporting church just had a church split, and they're not going to support you anymore because all their members left, right? Or your key supporter lost his job, and he's not going to support you, right? Or whatever, right? Those times when this month your support was very low, your income was very low, um, There are shortfalls in our life, times when there is not enough. I just got an email a couple, well, a week ago actually, from a friend of mine who's a a missionary in Nepal in Kathmandu. Uh, He's trying to he started a little children's home there. They're training some national pastors, good guy. And he wrote me and said, I don't know what to do. He said, I don't have enough, I don't have enough money to take care of all these kids. Uh, And they took these kids in. They just uh, set up a a second home because they have more kids. Uh, the government there really likes what they're doing, so they basically force them to take 10 more kids. So they had 20, now they're up to like 40, and he doesn't have the money to pay for the first 20, right, much less the second 20. To help him sustain all this, he got this great idea to start a bakery, uh, to be self-sustaining, because now everybody knows, you know, if you're going to do this, you got to be self-sustaining. It's not enough to just trust God anymore. We have to now... Trust God and make an, our own living, right? So he goes out, spends all this money to set up a bakery, finds an expensive place to rent because he doesn't have property. He's got this bakery now, and he's going. The bakery's losing money. He says it's not making money; it's costing me more. And then, on top of all that, uh, two weeks ago, they had a fire in their in their brand new girls' dorm they rented, and caused about fifteen hundred dollars worth of damage, destroyed all the beds, clothing, furniture, right? He says, I don't know what to do, right? You ever been there? You ever experienced that? Uh, There's not enough, right? There's not enough. And it's a real and legitimate fear that we all face and and deal with. Uh, What do we do? Do Do we go to Egypt? For me, Egypt is this. Egypt is, okay, I'm done with this, right? I didn't want to come here in the first place. I don't have the resources. I don't need to do this. I'll go home and get a real job that pays real money and where I don't have to... Trust in everybody else to take care of me, right, or I'll pray that my rich uncle dies, even a better option right and I'll just inherit his wealth and I can live anywhere well uh, what does god what does God do? God comes to Isaac in the midst of his fear, his worries his and and, and there's no indication here that uh, Isaac is panicked he's taking a course of action, his course of action is to go to Egypt. Uh, but as we see through the story, fear is something that kind of controls and dominates his life. And so he's, he's, not, he's not confident in God's promise, right? So God comes to him, and I love this. It says, um, God, God comes to him and he says, Do not go to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Uh, live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give them all these lands. Uh, Basically, God gives to Isaac the same exact promise he gave to Abraham, almost word for word. Uh, Almost word for word, the exact promise. He says, you don't need to go to Egypt. Uh, Abraham did go to Egypt. God did not prevent him. But for Isaac, that's not his course. And God speaks very clearly Stay put in the land. I will take care of you. I will give you descendants. I will give you this land. I will bless you. And I will bless you to such an extent that you and your descendants will be a blessing to all the nations around you. Right? Uh, he gives him that special word. But it's interesting. Not only does God give Isaac exactly the promise, exactly the formula that he gave Abraham, but God actually gives Isaac an extra word. All right? Uh, And this is fascinating. God God gives plain old ordinary kind of nobody, I'm a nobody t-shirt guy, Isaac, a special word, right? He never gave the, fact, this is the first time in in Scripture that God utters these words. And the words are simply these. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. God, interestingly, God never told that to Abraham. Now, was God with Abraham? Well, yes, he was. Uh, But he never made that promise, and he never spoke that word specifically to Abraham. He says, I will be with you. Uh, You know, it's easy to picture and conceive God as being this divine being who lives at the far reaches of the universe in his realm in heaven, who's got like this very high-tech, surveillance thing set up where he watches us from gazillions of light years away, right? And he's always keeping an eye on us, but he's doing it from a great distance because he's the God of heaven, the God who lives far, far away, right? Do you ever kind of get that feeling? That, yeah, he's watching out for me. Yeah, he's promised that, you know, he'll send stuff from, you know, far away. But do you have a sense that God is with you, right? Right? Uh, God assures Isaac, look, not only am I going to bless you, not only am I going to provide descendants, not only am I going to give you this land, I'm not going to do all this uh, through the mail, okay? I'm not going to do all this through a mail order catalog. I'm not going to, excuse me, one more technical problem. I'm, I'm not going to do this through, uh, th- through an online service, okay? Right? I'm going to do this personally. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you step by step every day. Every morning, Isaac, when you wake up, I'm going to be with you. Right? I'm going to be there. Amazing promise. And uh, in the end, Isaac trusts God and it says simply that he stays there. Okay, he doesn't go to Egypt. He doesn't move on. He accepts God's promise and he stays there. Uh, some translations say uh, that he obeyed the word of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> some say he stayed, stayed in Gerar. Um, the um, you know the truth is in the question is did Isaac have incredible at this point did Isaac have incredible faith like his father? Well, it would seem that he does. Uh, he stays put. I don't know though that Isaac really had incredible faith at this point. Uh, and I base this more on my own experience than on anything that's in Scripture. Okay, so you can take this with a grain of salt. Scripture doesn't say he was a man weak in faith. Um, but this is this has been my own experience. Um, you know there 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 continues to be, as we'll see in the next scene, in Isaac's life, great doubt and fear. Uh, I think true faith that's deep and abiding and, and genuine Really cast out fear because that's a confidence that God is really taking care of you, right? We don't see that because the next scene, um, we'll see, uh, uh, he kind of blows it, right? But what does he do? Well, what he does do is he obeys, right? He obeys the voice of the Lord. He does exactly what God says. It's interesting in this passage where it uses the word obey. It's simply the word shema. Uh the same word that's used. You know, we talk about the shema coming from Deuteronomy chapter six. Because it begins with these words, "Hear, O oh, hear, Israel, hear, Israel, hear." The Lord your God is one, right? And the word for obedience or to obey is simply in Hebrew the word to hear. Okay? Um, in our context in English, we tend to use the word obedience to imply compliance to a set of rules, right? So I can say I obey the traffic laws, meaning I drive the speed limit. Sometimes. Uh, when I do, I'm I'm obeying the law, right? If I stop at a red light and don't drive through it, like so many do, then I'm obeying the law, right? If I um, eat all the vegetables on my plate because somewhere there's a universe, a law in the universe that says you're supposed to, then I'm being obedient. That's kind of how we use in English the word obedience, but the Hebrew concept of the word was quite different. Okay, our use of the word really implies a a very static. Compliance to an impersonal objective set of rules. But that's not how Hebrews would have understood the word or how it was used in scripture. The word literally, like I said, is the word to hear. And it really implies a relationship where somebody is speaking instructions to us actively, daily, speaking into our situation, and we pay attention to what they say and we do it. In fact, it's interesting in, in the Hebrew context, When they use this word to hear the voice of the Lord, uh, it's implied that you've never really heard his voice until you respond to it by doing what it says, right? So where Isaac here may not have had extraordinary faith, okay, where he may not have been totally confident that God was going to do great things, uh, where he may not have felt that this was the right thing to do, what he does do is obey the voice of God, right? He obeys what God told him to do. The reality is you and I may never feel like we have great faith, and that's one of the curses of being an ordinary person. okay? If you're ordinary, it means you're not like walking on water with this great faith that God's going to raise the dead and do great miracles in your life right uh Probably most of us most of the time don't feel that way. Maybe you get inspired. I've had days you know I've had days when I thought I could just do great things, but they're rare, right. Most of the time I can't honestly say I feel this overcoming confidence of faith. But we always have this. Where we may not have faith, we always have this. A will that can choose to follow what God is telling us. Right? We can always do that. We can always choose to obey. And that's exactly what uh, uh, Isaac does here whether he feels like it or not, he knows that God's spoken to him clearly, stay, and he stays, right? Good (laughs) doggy, sit, (laughs) stay, right? He's got the will to choose to do what God's telling him. Uh, When we fear for lack of supply, what should we do? Uh, What is our response when there's not enough? Well, I think simply uh, we do what what, uh, Isaac does here. We listen, right? If you're facing shortfalls, shortcomings, don't know what's going to happen, first step is just to stop and listen to the voice of God. Obedience, the word as it's used in the Hebrew, the word obedience implies that God is speaking to you, right? If you are if you think you're obe- obeying, but you're not hearing God's voice, you're really not obeying. You're just following rules, right? And that's not the biblical idea of obedience. Okay? First step: listen and hear God's voice. What is God speaking to you in this situation? Is He telling you to quit and go home? Well, if that's clearly what God's speaking to you, then that's what you better do, right? Uh, later, you know, God clearly uh, directs Joseph to Egypt. Okay, so it's not it's not all bad to go to Egypt. Uh, but if God's speaking to you, just stay put. I'm going to take care of it, right? Then you choose to, secondly, believe that God's going to keep to His word. Okay, believe in God's promises. Uh, What has God promised to do for you? Well, He has promised to take care of us, right? He has promised to sustain us, Uh, He has promised to provide for us. The other day, I was staring out my window, kind of like this my, my, my office window has all these trees, you know. And I was looking at these huge, massive trees outside. And I thought, you know, these trees never buy anything, right? They don't need credit cards. They don't need bank accounts. And yet they grow to be, sometimes hundreds of years old, grow to be these huge, massive things, right? And you know how they do it? With nothing but water from the dirt and sunshine, right? And they live. I thought that's pretty cool that God does that. If God can give life to these big, huge trees that's just wood, imagine what he could do for you and me, right? Right? Uh, He can sustain us and He can supply and He will if we believe and if we listen. And thirdly, we need to obey what He says. Um, First two are easy, third one's not, (laughs) sometimes. Uh, Do you have the will to choose to do what God tells? Um, To stay when He says stay, to go when He says go, regardless of your great faith or lack thereof. To just say, God, I'm going to do what you tell me, whether I believe it's going to t- work out or not. I choose to obey. Uh, and that's exactly what, <coughs> what Isaac does. Um, second fear um, that Isaac deals with is the fear of death. Also a very legitimate fear. Okay, uh, you know, I hope all of you have a healthy respect for dying. Our bodies are quite breakable, um, and so it's good to have this fear. Um, Isaac stays in Gerar, he settles down uh, when the men have, it says in verse seven when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, "She is my sister. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. <clears throat> Does this sound like a rerun, right? Okay. I need to explain. I need to explain reruns. I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, there's some of you who are not old enough to know what a rerun is. So let me explain reruns. Uh, the the dictionary definition is a rerun is a repeat showing of a recorded entertainment, especially a TV series. Right? Now my definition is this: uh, a rerun means having to watch an episode of Dallas you've already seen. Because your TV only has two channels, and the other channel is showing a rerun of Charlie's Angels. (laughs) Okay, now all those 40 and over think that's funny. The rest of you are going, eh, what? See, a rerun means, you know, you have no TV, and you have no DVD, no video. You can't download movies, and you have to watch what's on TV. And what's showing has already been shown. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. It's like, we heard this already. That's exactly right. And it's ironic that the one thing... Um, the one thing Isaac seems to copy his father in is his character flaws, right? Abraham did this exact same thing twice, actually with this same king. Probably not this king, probably a son or a grandson. The same scenario, same name, same characters, same fear, right? Uh, like father, like son. And he's afraid for his life, so he lies. He compromises his wife's character and integrity to save his own skin He puts at risk the country where he's at And most of all he dishonors the name and reputation of God right, By being deceitful and lying Well the king responds The king uh, gets a clue when it says Isaac is playing with his wife Literally in Hebrew the word Isaac means to laugh or to play And they kind of use a fun play in his name Saying Isaac was Isaacing with his wife I don't know what that means but apparently it's not something you do with your sister, whatever it was, okay? It was not a sister-sister, brother-sister thing. It was like a husband-wife thing. And the king's going, Ah, you are married. I saw you, right? You are married. That's your wife. And he says the exact same thing that his grandfather said. What are you doing to us, right? And he is outraged uh, because... Much has happened before. He feared that God would send calamity and trouble upon them and their country because, if they had committed a sin against Isaac and his wife. Right? Um, so the king responds. And, and uh, in the end, he puts out an edict. No one can touch this couple. All right? The king puts a divine edict pr- protecting Isaac and Rebekah. Well, what's interesting? Notice how God responds. Okay, here's here's Isaac. Get the picture. Here's Isaac, Mr. Ordinary guy, Mr. Plain guy, uh, who's not have does not is not showing right here extraordinary faith. In fact, right here he's showing extraordinary fear for his life. Even though God just told him, "I will be with you," he's not believing it. Right? He's believing it enough to take the choices to obey, but beyond that. He has very little confidence. It's like, yeah, okay, God's going to give us food only long enough so this the the people here can kill me and take my wife, right? Uh, he's showing great lack of judgment, great lack of character, just like the weaker parts of his father. Notice how God responds, okay? It says, "And that year when Isaac planted his crops, he Harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. For the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man and his wealth continued to grow. He, re- re- he acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds and cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. Okay, you get the picture? Okay, here's this guy. Flawed character, deceitful, lacking faith, Not only ordinary, but kind of dysfunctional ordinary. It's even worse, right? And what does God respond with? He blesses him, right? He doesn't just bless him a little. He blesses him abundantly. In those days, if you wanted to describe somebody getting a maximum harvest, okay, such an abundant harvest that it could never be exceeded, you would say, you got a harvest a hundred times. Okay, mathematically, I'm not sure about this because I'm not real good with math. But I think mathematically, that's a thousand percent return on your investment. Okay, is that right? Somebody who knows math, hundred times a thousand percent. Nobody's disagreeing with so we'll go with it. Thousand. Okay, imagine if you could invest in the stock market this year, and in one year you could get a thousand percent return. Okay, then there wouldn't be a shortfall. Okay, that's pretty good, right? Not only that, but it says God blessed him with cattle, with sheep, with servants, livestock, all kinds of stuff. In fact, it says, in a kind of uh, awkward sentence, that God caused him to be ever increasingly great and wealthy. Right? How can that be? Right? How can that be? Well, God said, I will be with you. Right? What does it mean for God to be with you? That's what it means, right? What it means for God to be with you is that God is with you in spite of your flaws, weaknesses, and mistakes. And God will take care of you based on his promise and his character, not yours. Right? Amazing. Uh, the, the, The point begins to emerge in this story that God actually loves ordinary people in extraordinary ways, Right? God actually blesses weak, flawed people full of mistakes, uh, poor character, with the riches of his own blessing. And he blesses him abundantly. Well, last fear uh, the fear of conflict. Uh, and this is a bit ironic. Isaac gets blessed, blessed abundantly. He's got, you know money in the bank, he's got servants, he's got wealth. I mean, God's obviously taking good care of him. But the result and consequence of that is that all of his neighbors hate him. <laughs> all right, uh, The Philistines are looking at all of his prosperity and wealth and how God is taking care of him, and it makes them very jealous. And they kick him out. They say, you got to get out of here. Okay? You're too powerful us. Get lost, man. Okay? We don't want you around. Uh, so he moves out from the town out farther into the country. Uh, in that day and in that age, everything depended on water. Uh, so Isaac digs a well. And in fact, it says that he actually goes out and redigs wells that his father Abraham had dug. Uh, he digs one well. He finds water. Success. But along comes the shepherds of the, area, shepherds of the area, and they claim the well for themselves. He says, that's ours. That's our water. You can't have it. Uh, Isaac, being a man of extraordinary courage and faith and you know, strength, says, okay, I'll go. Turns and kind of with his tail between his legs, leaves. Goes far away to another place, digs another well, finds water. Okay, He's successful. He thinks, I can, I can plant myself here. Again, the shepherds find him. The local people find him. They say, that's our well. You can't have it. And again, Isaac rises to the occasion, puffs out his chest and says, okay, I'll go, <laughs> right? And he goes farther away from, from, from where he was, farther out into the desert. Finally, at the third place, he's way out in the middle of nowhere, way out in the middle of nowhere. He digs another well. God gives him success. There's water. And he's so far away, nobody even knows he's there. So he names this well, Open Spaces, okay? He says, I like this. Open Spaces, nobody here to bother me, okay? Here's a classic picture of a guy who fears conflict, right? Uh, his way of dealing with conflict is to turn and run, right? He's, he's a people pleaser. He's a guy who, uh, who will not fight. He'll always uh, concede to the other person and give up and, and turn away, right? Because he fears the fight. He fears conflict. He fears strife. It makes him uncomfortable, right? The more I find about Isaac, the more I just get annoyed at him, and the more he reminds me of myself. I just hate it, right? Hate it. Um, Now, some would argue, in fact, some commentators argue that what he's really trying to do here is make peace. But the truth is he's not making peace, right? The truth is he's avoiding the very things that could bring about peaceful resolution, Avoiding conflict and not seeking resolution is not making peace. In fact, later in the story, the king of Abimelech catches up with him, and we get some of, of what's going on inside Isaac when he says, "Why are you here? You hate me, right? That's not a guy living in peace, right? That's a guy being consumed by bitterness and frustration and anger and resentment, right? And you see, when you when you fear conflict and you avoid." making resolution. You avoid fixing the problems because you are afraid. There's this huge conflict that erupts within you. right? So you see this guy, this Isaac, he's not only is he ordinary, not only does he not have extraordinary faith, but he's kind of weak. He's very passive. He lets people push him around and he never stands up for himself, right? Okay, that's the picture of Isaac. Well what, is, what does Abimelech do? Um Well, eventually Abimelech finds him, right? Abimelech comes to visit him. This is what it says. It says um, uh, verse uh, 26, One day King Abimelech came from Gerar with his advisor, Azusa, and also Phicol, his army commander. And Isaac says, Why have you come here? You obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. Okay? No bitterness there. They replied, Well, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. Okay, now I interpret that to mean this. They look at Isaac and they go, you know, Isaac, look at you. You're the most plain, ordinary guy ever. You have no backbone. You're spineless. You let people push you around. But look at you. You're like successful. Obviously, God is with you. Right? We know you didn't do this yourself. You're not that capable. Right? Right? And so they say, we, we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us. Okay, That in itself is kind of laughable. Because okay, this is Isaac. I don't know what they're worried about, right? Please don't hurt us. Right? Swear that you will not harm us, just as we have never, never troubled you. Overstating the case a bit. We have always treated you well, more or less. And we sent you away from us in peace. And now look how the Lord has blessed you. Okay, amazing. Uh, Abimelech comes and he wants peace. He wants a peace treaty with Isaac. uh, Because he fears him. Because he's seeing clearly what? That God is with him. Right? That God is with him. I just think this is amazing. Here's a guy who is anything but a peacemaker. Okay? He's an avoider. He is passive. He is weak. He is character flawed. And yet, in the end, what happens? Abimelech comes and does what? He wants to make peace with him. So Isaac throws a feast. They have a great dinner. Their relationship is thawed. There is reconciliation. They swear an oath of peace, right? In the midst of it all, God is working, right? God works. What Isaac is not able to do himself, God does, right? Where he is weak and passive, God is strong. Where he runs from conflict, God makes peace by bringing his enemy to him. Right? And where Isaac is unable to accomplish it, God works. In the midst of all that, uh, God appear, actually appears to Isaac again at Beersheba. It says in verse 23, uh, Isaac moved to Beersheba where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father, Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants, and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. And Isaac built an altar there, and he worshiped the Lord. And he set up his camp in that place, and his servants dug another well. And... Uh, the end of the story: His servants come back with success. This water, this well produces. Uh, this well produces water. Okay, it worked. Right, uh, amazing. And at the end, I think the the moral of the story is this: that maybe all those great people of faith that we so admire, those great heroes who did such incredible, remarkable things, in the end, could it be that they were all really just Isaacs? Right. Could it be that the people we admire so much and and see as great heroes, that really in the end all of them were nothing more than Isaacs, who were very ordinary people with no extraordinary gifts, people who were plagued with weakness and fear, but who had this one thing going for them? What was the one thing? God was with them, right? God was with them. See, there's hope for us. (laughs) There's hope for us. Because we may be plain, we may be ordinary, we may be like Isaac, fearful of of our famines, fearful of death, fearful of conflict, fearful of trouble. We may be people of flawed character. Uh, At least a couple of you, you know, most of you have overcome all those. We may make mistakes. But praise God, He has promised to always be with us. Has God promised you that? Uh, matthew 2820 Jesus' last imparting words to his disciples, and through them to us, what does Jesus say? He says, "Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, be sure of this. I love this translation. I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think that includes us. To the end of the age, God is with us. Isn't that amazing? God's promise to us, His absolute promise to us, is that if we turn to Him and believe Him and follow Him, if we will listen to His voice, not with extraordinary faith, but with the simple decision to choose to obey and follow Him, He will be with us. In spite of our mistakes, our flaws, our weakness, our insecurities, our doubts, in spite of all the obstacles that come against us, we don't have to be afraid because God is with us. All right. Let's pray. Father, we are, uh, as we reflect on our lives, Lord, and if we're honest, we all sense that we are quite weak. We are quite ordinary. Uh, Lord, the world does not—the um, world does not turn its head to hear us speak. Uh, nobody would be all that impressed with us if they really knew everything that goes in inside our head. Lord, I confess that often my faith is so weak, and in spite of all these great reminders of Your faithfulness, I still have so many doubts, and I get so discouraged. And every time there's a famine, I, I want to flee to Egypt. I want the easy way out. But Lord, help us to remember that it's not about what we have. It's not about how extraordinary we are. It's really about what you are and who you are and what you have promised to us. Lord, help us to live uh, in, in light of the reality Holding on to this great truth that you are with us. Lord, help us to be aware of our fears. And in the midst of those fears, to let them be overwhelmed by your presence. Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much that through Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, that promise is more true than ever. That you are with us. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.